Hi, everybody. This is Democratic Voices, and I'm Nydea Graves. And I'm Kyle Hudson. And we have special guest, Chris Karakowicz. Hi, Nadia and Kyle. Thank you for having me. Yes, the pleasure is all ours. So just to uh, establish the date, today is Wednesday, September 30th. Yesterday was the 29th, um, the evening of the first presidential debate. So we have a lot to talk about. So Chris, uh, you are a veteran uh, from the Iraq War. You served as a specialist uh, in what branch of the armed forces? I was in the Pennsylvania Army National Guard based in the Philadelphia region. And you're also a millennial, right? That is correct. Can you tell me what your work has looked like on the state committee to uh, make sure Pennsylvania is indeed a blue state coming up in 2020? Absolutely. Thank you for that. So what we're working on is reaching out to veterans. Um, you know, last night was very disheartening, uh, especially for me personally. Uh, I actually deployed with Major Biden when he was the late Major Biden now, unfortunately, when he went to um, Iraq. He was with the Delaware National Guard. Um, I believe there was a strategic, there is some type of strategic alliance that they deployed us at the same time. I forget all the details of how that all worked out. But he deployed to Iraq and really honorably. Um, and that's really what a lot of the problem with Trump is. He doesn't want to, people who are really just, it's all about disrespect, right? Anything that causes respect, John McCain, who was in a um, labor camp, prison POW camp, and um, what's unique about Major Biden was he deployed the whole length of the time, a full year of service. And I was just disheartened by what he, how he just said, well, I don't know who he is. This was a major important figure into a lot of us military community here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And his treatment towards veterans in general and this is, this is not a one-time-off thing. This is a pattern of behavior Donald Trump. And what we've been doing on state committee, I am the secretary of the Veterans Caucus on state committee, is we're talking with veterans. We're out there. We're communicating with veterans who are fed up with the disrespect that Donald Trump has for our community the people who are protecting the democratic process. And we've seen at the end of the debate, he doesn't really like that. You know, it, it, I have no other way of saying it. He laid out a fascist plan. Mm. Stand Cute. by, right? Telling, telling a, a militia group, a, a terrorist group to stand by for after, and I'm not gonna call the, I'm not gonna abide by the election. I'm gonna try to use the Supreme Court and all these things. So we're reaching out to the people who signed up, like myself, um, you know, to defend this country, you know, and, um, and I think you know a little bit what it's like to be a public servant, right? You don't always get, it's hard work, right? I mean, you, you know, when you're looking at the pennies per hour you're making, right? <laughs> Nadia mm -hmm. probably knows, I, I've seen what you're doing in Coatesville. So you understand what it's, I think municipal officers have that uniqueness where they're not really doing it for the money, right? And that's the same thing with the military a lot of times. We're not really doing it for the money. So I think there's, there's a really common ground there of that understanding of how much you sacrifice, you know? Some give all and all give some, you know? And, and I think that's a lot of what we're trying to find 
going to people, just talking with people one-on-one. And um, I'm actually also the vice chair of the Young Democrats of America's Veterans Caucus. And we're hearing this same thing nationally. I'm hearing it out in Ohio. I'm hearing it down in Kentucky. I'm hearing it in Georgia, Texas. People are, the, the, the veterans are so, and there's polling that backs us up. And I think veterans are gonna play a pivotal role. Um, you know, my mother was a Republic, is a Republican. She, this morning said she was just disheartened by what was said um, about Major, uh, Major Biden, really. That was a disheartening moment, you know? And it was just, it was so disrespectful. I came out of that debate with just such a sorrow in my heart for who our commander in chief is really. It's not like, it's not like you know, George H.W. Bush um, who served his country in World War II. You know, I was just thinking about him. He's passed away recently. You know, John McCain, John McCain, Donald Trump just makes fun of like people who publicly serve. And I think that's the disrespect. And that's for a lots of different groups too. And I don't think, you know, it's just, it's not just veterans. It's also people of color. It's, um, you know, it's women. It's, it's every group you can imagine. See, and, and it's interesting that you talk about respect and disrespect because I, I do think that that is a, there's a fundamental difference in how some people view it. I, I saw a, a trailer, a Donald Trump trailer recently. It's like, you, uh, respect must be earned. And I don't believe in that. I believe you should respect everybody. It's yours to lose, right? Like to, to say you need to earn my respect. What does that mean about how you perceive other people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I feel as a progressive that the thing that is lacking is the fact that we need to respect everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So Chris, you mentioned the rise of fascism under Trump. Um, which is something that I've been extremely worried about, um, especially as a person who uh, is probably the person that Trump describes as the the radical left. Um, yesterday, we had a quite conservative moderator just ask him to do a really simple thing like um, disavow and condemn white supremacist groups um, like the... Um, white militias and the Proud Boys who are known for instigating violence at protests and things like that. And he just simply wouldn't. It even sounded like to me, if you're a person who picks up on dog whistles, um, that he was telling them to stand down and stand by, right, to get prepared for whatever happens after um, after his inevitable defeat. Um, and so yeah, how, I mean, how are you feeling about that? Because that was extremely scary and worrisome. Absolutely. I agree with you. It's horribly worrisome. Uh, what, the way Donald Trump said that answer is what's problematic too. He said it in a tone which he was preparing somebody for battle. Don't go into the battle at this moment, but then be prepared for what I'm going to give you your marching orders. There, how do you interpret this in a different context than it's horrifying. I, I, I don't know how else to, to hear a commander chief. I remember back in 2016, this was the moment that really scared me the most. When a really wow stuck out to me 
when Donald Trump said, I am so great, they should just hand me the election. He feels entitled to it. You're not entitled mm -hmm. to anything, right? We'll both say that. If the people vote us out, we're gone, right? We agree, mm -hmm. right? Like you can vote us out. I am not entitled to my position. You are not entitled to your position. We will stand for that. And we will mm -hmm. see the next day. Once that vote is clarified, we can see, right? I mean, I can see to technically state my state election because I didn't win, but then, you know, Chris got elected and then I got appointed. So yeah, I mean, I've conceded an election before. It, it, it's part of the process. And it's, it's the core of who we are as a country, our democratic process, you know, we haven't gotten it right always, right? And a lot of mistakes. And I just, I hear like a dictator. And I could remember when I went to Iraq, they told me that living under Saddam Hussein, this were the, the local Iraqi people. This is something really interesting. They said, what was really bad about it was he was always in your face somehow. He was always on television all the time and everywhere as you went with Saddam Hussein. And you notice that's how it is a lot with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think we're so obsessed and we give him all that kind of power, free publicity. He's everywhere as we go. And it's just this style that's really, it's more than just rhetoric. It's, well, I, I, more, it's deeper, you know, that's what, so from a military perspective, in having seen something first life, can't, you know what I mean? Having talked with people who have experienced authoritarianism mm -hmm. uh, you know in a in a somewhat secular country compared to saudi arabia iraq was more secular in a lot of ways oh, you yeah. know in that region of the world so I, I think one of the things people forget though about donald trump is that before he was president he made a hit tv show and that is not an easy thing to do uh to get to the top of network television, especially at the time that The Apprentice was on, um, he knew what he was doing. And, and I mean, I, and I may have talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but there's, there's a quote that always stuck with me from Trevor Noah. And he's like, Donald Trump is a great communicator. And I know to those of us that don't like him, it can seem grating. And, and, but, you know, Trevor Noah said that, you know, for a lot of people, when they watch Donald Trump in 2016, for the first time in their life, they were watching a politician and they understood every single word that he said. And, you know, people mock that he speaks at like a third grade level or fifth grade level or whatever, but that's by design. He's not dumb and he understands optics in a way that most modern politicians don't at all, which is why the debate last night kind of worried me because I don't know, I, I kind of feel like that was intentional, right? Because like, A, he was clearly trying to put Biden on tilt um, I, I'm actually was very impressed that Biden, I think, handled himself pretty mm -hmm. well. I, I actually feel, I'll be honest, I feel more confident voting for Biden, Joe, for Joe Biden now than I did before the debate, for sure. Um, but I also fear that perhaps the goal wasn't to, I mean, the goal was clearly out the gate not to discuss the issues. So what was his plan? I think it was to make everyone just disgusted with the entire process. Like, I think that was an actual active goal mm -hmm. um, just to tune people up because we know when more people vote, 
Democrats win. When less people vote, Republicans win. And it worries me that maybe now, you know, they're saying they're gonna change the rules, right? What are they gonna do? Start, people are saying, oh, we should be able to turn off the mics. The second they do that in the next debate, the day after Fox News headline is they turned off the mic of the president of the United States of America. Like, I really think he's playing some long game stuff right now. And we have to be careful because the way Donald Trump has beaten us over and over and over again is he puts us on tilt. He puts you on tilt and then you make bad decisions and then you just play in the short game and while he's playing the long game. Last night was truly embarrassing, I think, for our country to see our president behave that way. Um, but I, I fear that it wasn't an accident and that this is a larger design that we're seeing play out in front of us, a longer game than I think people want to admit that he is capable of playing. I say this all the time. It's like, we're not fighting for a better world for Democrats. We're fighting for a better world, period. Every conservative under the world that we're imagining, right, may think the way to get there is different, but ultimately we'll be happy with the world that we are trying to create. And so um, we have to position ourselves to be the people who are healing and creating a better world um, against the people who are just like finding a new way to make the world worse every day. Um, and I think that's how we really win. There's a, there's a concept in filmmaking called show don't tell. And that's, that's, that, that made me think of that when you were saying that. Show, don't tell what we mean and who we are. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think we have to live our values. That's really what it's about. It's being, I really agree with you on that, Kyle. And I think we have to vote. We have to vote and we have to vote. We have to get our people to the polls, get them to send it in mail and ballots. Uh, today, I voted. I got to do the vote today. I got it in the mail. I immediately did it, got it out, went in there, voted for every Democrat, every single ballot position I voted for a Democrat because I don't want to take any risks. Yeah, I also got my ballot in the mail today and I was really excited to receive it. My mail comes at like 6.30, so voter services is closed. But I plan on filling in every blue bubble with a black pen. I got a mail-in ballot. Um, and I'm going to make sure that I film it, make sure people know that they need to use their security envelope and the regular envelope because in Pennsylvania, you have to do that or they're going to throw out your ballot. And I think I'm going to actually take my ballot straight to voter services. Um, there is going to be a mail-in drop box right by my house too um, at the Coatesville Library. That's one of the Chester County drop box drop-offs. And um, I might even put it there. There are so many options and this flexibility of mail-in ballots, um, such a great aid to democracy. But my thing is get it in as soon as possible. That way you are 100% sure that you um, have voted and your vote gets counted. Now, now, Chris, you have been doing this longer than both Nidea or I. Uh, you've been involved for a very long time. Um, and so what advice do you have to other millennials who are, you know, I mean, I remember when I first got involved, you were one of the first people to approach me and kind of take me under your wing. And, you know, honestly, the conversations we've had over coffee have been incredibly valuable. Uh, and so 
I was just wondering, do you have any advice for young people? Not even young people, millennials. We keep on being called young people, but honestly, we're 30. We're not young people anymore, right? Yeah, like, I use eye cream. <laughs> so like, <laughs> what, what, would you, what would your advice be to fellow millennials who maybe are inspired right now to get involved? Maybe they don't necessarily want to run for office, but they want to do something. What would you suggest? Well, first off, I think, I think you bring up a good point about this is our time. This is the time... We're starting to get into that age where people are looking to us. The younger generation is looking to us. So always having conversations with people. Have conversations about the issues. Talk with your younger friends, right? Because we're going to be in that age group where we're going to start bridging the gap, right? Um, there's a great meme or it's a TikTok or both or something where it shows it's, it's millennials versus baby boomers. And now the now the and, and uh, millennials are coming up with the, with the Gen Z on their side, and we're going to take over this um, country. We're going to have to eventually leave, and you know that's where we start looking at ourselves. In one, uh, that was the first thing. The other thing is um, make sure you find somebody else to vote. Always make sure you get that one extra person outside of the data. We talk about who the Democrats are. We want to find everybody. We want to get everybody. If you're an independent, libertarian, fed up Republican, I don't care. Come out and vote for us. We're here to represent you. I don't care who you are. And I think it goes back to our premise that we, you were talking about earlier. We need to start reaching out to people outside our comfort zone. Have those hard conversations, you know. Um, go into places where, you know, that's the real look is when we start I have a question, Chris, and I think that um, you'll have a really good answer for this. So on state committee, right? Because we are, uh, we're here in Chester County, um, me and Kyle, and there's a ton of rural spaces um, right. in Chester County, and there's a ton of rural spaces throughout Pennsylvania. And, you know, I do statewide organizing too. Can you talk a little bit about um, really what makes... Um, a good relationship between Democrats and rural communities um, that maybe there's been blind spots that we missed before there um, and really turning out the rural vote um, in Chester County and throughout the uh, rural Pennsylvania to vote um, for Democrats because we know that Trump won by 44,000 votes. So can we get 44,000 rural people yeah. to vote for us this time? Absolutely, I think so. Um... Uh, Michelle Siegel introduced 10 yeah. Bill of Rights, what's called a Rural Bill of Rights. And what's really great about that is she's speaking to people about their issues. I have to be honest, I learned it from the Black community, what I needed to do for the rural community. Mm -hmm. I was um, in Black Caucus and they said, don't talk at us, talk to us. And I said, okay. And I wondered, I made a question, I'm like, I wonder if that's what everybody wants. I want to be talked to. I don't want somebody talking at I never thought about it before. Mm -hmm. And I realized it was the same thing, that we're all people. We're people. Talk about the issues that are involved in their community. What are they concerned about? Do they have high-speed internet access, right? They're concerned about their internet. They're concerned about access to medical care, right? They're concerned about the prices of trade war that Donald Trump is having.
Um, that listening to you guys talk makes me uh, reminds me of something Ronald Reagan once said. Uh, he said that the scariest phrase in the English language is "I'm from the federal government and I'm here to help." But if we look around our world today, we would desperately love to hear that phrase, right? How many people in how many communities would love right now to have someone from the government come in and help out what they're doing? And I think that what the Republican Party has done is stripped away the ability for us to be able to provide those services. The other week, Nadia and I were talking about the difference between electoral uh, politics and uh, what is, what's the other one? Electoral politics and politics. And I feel like the Republican Party has systematically over the last couple decades stripped away for the government to even provide help. I mean, what did Grover Norquist say? He wanted to make the government so small you could drown it in a bathtub. Like that was their goal. And so we have to push back against that because I do believe in government. I believe in the public school system. I believe in the, in the armed services, right? Like we, the thing is, the Republicans have hammered into people's heads that tax equals bad, right? And so people just want to pay less money. But the thing is, taxes provide services. And those services are there for people who need them. And you may not need those services right now, but trust me, when you do, you're going to be glad that they're there. And we need well, to... Well, one of the biggest services that I think are super important is healthcare. Like, imagine if government just gave you healthcare. Like, you just had healthcare. You don't have to talk to anybody out a window about it or call a whole bunch of people. You just have it. You're just going to be okay if you go to the doctor. And people... That, that shouldn't be controversial, right? You should be like... I'm sick and I want to be well and that's it and right not like oh I work hard so I can afford to be well and these poor people gotta have shit like <laughs> that's well and and that also you know the pandemic kind of breaks open a lot of this stuff but you know it's not just about you being sick because if the people around you are sick like think about right. I, I worked in restaurants for almost a decade right and yeah. if you were sick and you called in and said I'm sick they're like find coverage and, or bring in a doctor's note. Well, if you don't have health insurance, you can't do that. When you make it an economic incentive, people are going to do what they have to do, right? And if people, and if we're not looking out for the people who handle our food, the people who drive us from place to place, the people who take care of our children, mm -hmm. if we're not providing healthcare for these people, it puts you at risk. It, like giving other people healthcare is actually a selfish thing because it makes it you healthier. You know what I mean? I like, yeah, and I think also it makes us healthier. A healthier society is ultimately better. Um, and just to your point, Kyle, we're also told that we're supposed to be so productive that we don't even prioritize, right? We don't even acknowledge to ourselves when we're sick. Um, number one, because we know that it's a bill. And number two, we're like, we're supposed to be productive. And so like this itch in my ear isn't anything. This sore throat isn't anything. This will go away. Um, so I think number one, we work while we're sick because we kid ourselves about our wellness. Um, but also wellness is so, um, like having a sick day is just so synonymous with being like a slacker and like, oh, you're just trying to get out of work. It's like yeah, all that, there's all this stigma yeah. around wellness in America that really just doesn't facilitate us to have a well and healed um, society just in general. There was a quote I wanted to share with you guys because uh, you know I love Andrew Yang. 
Um, he said, being poor now leads to being more poor later. Can't pay to clean your teeth? Next year, pay for a root canal. Can't pay for a new mattress? Next year, pay for back surgery. Can't get that lump checked out? Next year, pay for th stage three cancer. Poverty charges interest. And mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's really expensive to be poor. Yes. If you've never been poor, you don't understand. The lift rides, the bus fare, the, yeah, all, all those little things add up. It's way, it's way more expensive to ride the bus than to have a car. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's two hundred two not two hundred, two dollars and seventy-five cents there, two dollars and seventy-five cents back in Chester County. And Chester County doesn't even have a full full bus structure. Like, you know, I I don't drive and I go to the community college of Philadelphia because there's no bus directly from my house to the community the Delaware community college, right? So I have to pay to be in Philly all day, which is paying for my train fare there and back and paying for three meals where I can't cook. Um, that's that's the reality of being um, being a working class person, being a poor person. It's like, po like you said, poverty has interest. It's really it's really stressful for the American people, and for us to just have this lack of care is why people don't trust the government. A lot of times, when I talk to Black folks, they say oh, um, I'm not going to vote because they're not going to do anything better for us. And like, Democrats get stressed out. They lose their mind when they hear shit like this. They're like, oh, you can't say that and you can't think that. And I'm like, no, no, no. These people have been disenfranchised by the system. Um, and the only way that we're going to pull people to, to our side is have a real conversation about what it means to be constantly disenfranchised and also to really work on how we can systemically re-enfranchise people we need to make sure that they know that you know your communities are going to improve if you vote and we are going to be transparent about what we're doing to improve your community and we're going to be transparent about where your votes are going we like you know we're like this is the house this is the senate this is what we're working on to really improve something for you. That way you don't watch your community go to shit under a democratic, you know, government, watch your community go to shit under Republic gov Republican government and just continue to be like, yeah, why do this? It doesn't make sense to do. Yeah. And I, I think in a way we haven't had a conversation in this country with what do we, if we're a democracy, you have to be able to have a certain standard of basic essentials needed. We haven't had that conversation about what is really essential and what is a fair and just system. Uh, you know, I think that is the conversation millennials can lead the charge on. It's almost like, you know, we want to move like a race car, but the re reality is it's like a cruise ship. And you, it, you have to turn the wheel and uh, keep applying pressure. And it, you have to make the turn over a long period of time. It's a long arc. Yeah. Um, you know, didn't, didn't President Obama say the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice? That might be true, but it's not natural. It's not naturally bending towards justice. We need to keep the pressure on that. We need to steer it in that direction. Because, and, 
Well, I just want to say, because I think a lot of millennials, the way we were raised in the popular culture and the way we consume things, we're used to instant gratification, right? So like, if we don't, if we don't see immediate results, like, and I think that's where, you know, my fellow Yang Gang people, and I think some of the Bernie Sanders people feel disappointed, mm -hmm. right? Because we're, we, we, yeah. we feel like we're trying to make these gains and, and they're just happening in small fits and starts. And we just, it's easy to lose the faith. But yeah, your point, Chris. Feel disenfranchised by it all. But but we can't give up, right? It's I, I mean I, I really do feel like it's like pushing a boulder up a hill, right? Like we all need to work together so that every once in a while one of us can take a break and then other people hold up. But we have to right. keep on applying the pressure, otherwise the boulder starts slipping further down the hill. And unfortunately, you know it's it's a long way to the mountaintop, right? We have a lot right. of work to go. But but if we don't keep on applying the pressure and make a plan and create infrastructure we won't get to where we want to be. This isn't going to just naturally happen. People don't just give you, hey, here's what you want. You have to fight for what you want, especially when it involves lots of money, right? Yeah. Like we need to decide our priorities. It's not like the, we, the one thing I've learned, being an adult through the financial crisis and all this stuff, the pandemic, we have the money. The money's yeah. there if we want to spend it, yeah. or we want to spend it. But we, as a generation, need to start taking, like you said, this is our time right? And it sucks. It sucks. There's a pandemic, you know, economic collapse. It seems like the world's on fire. It sucks. But guess what? You don't get to choose your time. When you're called, you have to answer the call. And unfortunately, this is the time our generation is called to answer our country's needs. And you know what? Yeah. I, I'm working with people like Chris and Idea and all the young people I've been interacting with. We can do it, man. We have we have the technology. We can make you better, faster, stronger. You know what I mean? But we just got to get involved because we can do yeah. it. I know we can. We're so excited about really talking to voters about the issues uh, that matter to them in this election. I think that's what this whole episode has been about is really targeting issues that matter to voters across Pennsylvania, especially here in Chester County. And so, yeah, Chris, um, just want to... Um, Please tell us about any um, things that you have going on, any ways that people can get involved in the election. Uh, name one candidate in Chester County for uh, people to donate $25 to and make sure you always donate to the Chester County Democratic Committee. Links below or above or whatever. It depends on what platform you're on. <laughs> All right, my plug is gonna be for Anton in the 160th house anton, district. anton who uh anton andrews uh he is in sorry anton andrews in the uh, down in southern chester county that, that is my ploy for a candidate um he's an amazing amazing candidate and uh, of course we want to vote uh, give some money to chester county democrats it'd be fabulous and i just want to say to really get involved i want you to find talk to your neighbor have that conversation with one other person that our data can't pick up. Talk with somebody, have a long conversation with that person you find on the fence. Find that person. You know, they're out there. That's my, that would be my big ask. Find, if we all found one more person like that, we can make, we can get 144,000. Woo! 44,000 we need. Woo! Thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate you hanging out with us today. Thank you for Thank having you. me. It was a pleasure. Yep. Have a good night.